We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the Barcelona Podcast, admissible opinions brought to you by the most influential voices in the FC Barcelona community. Thanks again for tuning into the show. This is episode 81. You can tap in your app and check the show notes to subscribe to the show. You can also find us on social media, on Twitter, at the Barcelona Pod, at HiltonD13, or more importantly, we've got a closed Facebook group, the Barcelona Podcast, so type it in there and join the community that is ever-growing Every day, you can join myself, Dan Hilton, and Frances Tomas as we've got a jam-packed show. Don't want to waste your time anymore. Frances, what are we talking about today? In today's show, we're going to be joined by Rick Sharma, fantastic journalist from Sports ES and obviously SportsEnglish.com, and he's going to be telling us all about the latest about this fantastic week in which Barca obviously won La Copa and are incredibly close, only three points away from winning La Liga. Also, it's the second edition of our Peña Roundtable. We've got representatives from Dallas, San Francisco and Austin joining us today. And it's going to be fantastic. The conversation is really opinionated. And um, yeah, (laughs) our Peña representatives start disagreeing with each other, which is fantastic. So yeah, it's all for you to enjoy. The Barcelona Podcast 81 starts right here. Let's get this show started. We're really delighted to be welcomed by another one of our famed guests, particularly on Twitter. We're delighted to be welcomed by none other than Rick Sharma, a journalist for Sport, Mirror Football, and many more, but I'll let him do that talking. Rick, welcome to the Barcelona Podcast. Thank you for having me. Well, we'd like to start with talking a little bit about your background, and not just necessarily with Barcelona, but as a journalist too. Did you always see yourself covering FC Barcelona or being in the Barcelona Madrid region and where did this passion begin? No, definitely not. Um, I started off in England, in London. I actually started in my back garden in Southampton, I think, when I was about eight years old. Uh, I used to play football with my brother in the back garden and then at the end I would go inside the house and write a match report over what happened. Um, so it's something I always wanted to do. But I got into it in London and then in 2014 I moved to Barcelona. And it was only really when Gareth Bale moved to Madrid that I started to think, oh, maybe I could work abroad rather than just cover the Premier League. And that makes a lot of sense. If Gareth Bale can do it, then so can we. Yeah, exactly. It was just like, oh, there's people over there working in, in Spain, and Gareth Bale's over there. There's plenty of interest. And interest in Barcelona and Madrid is already quite big, but it's just grown so much over the last few years as well. 
Yeah, I think Francesca and I have both learned. Now, Francesca is, is in London and from Catalonia, and we've learned so much even ourselves about the people who are watching Barcelona and especially Barcelona news in English. We're just really, we were always surprised whenever those stats and the geography of who was listening to the podcast came out because just, especially in the United States, as we started to learn that people in the United States are really taking to this as well as London and you know, we're seeing pockets in, we have a lot of, a big fan base in Nigeria and India and English speakers. And so, you know, the way that we present Barcelona in English has been really important. And I mean, have you seen over the course of your career already, how much it's grown and just the way that social media have changed that? Yeah, absolutely. We have quite similar demographics for the English version of Diario Sport. Uh, America is number one, England is number two, India is number three, I think on the list of people that are reading the site. And those numbers are growing as well year on year. It's, I mean, in England, when I, when, when I started working as a journalist, I think there's a little bit of interest in Barca and Madrid because of the Ronaldo-Messi kind of dynamic. But, I mean, and, but nobody really cared too much beyond that, apart from in the Champions League when they played English clubs or if they got to the final and that was, you know, it was Barca and Madrid in the final. But now, they, the, the news is covered in England as much as it is in Spain almost minuscule stories that, that we have in sport or other newspapers have as well just get picked up by English media straight away before maybe it took two or three days for any stories sort of found their way into the English media but now it's all exactly at the same time as it's happening more or less and how do you find the English media and the Spanish media to be different because I mean the way that Frances and I look at the Spanish media we find it to be very sensationalized but then again you do have different publications in in England that are just all just sensational Hollywood type things. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it is very different, I think, especially, I mean, like, working inside the media. There's, there's no English newspaper which has sort of, national newspaper, which has sort of favorite teams. Uh, obviously, there is, there, you know, there's a little bit of bias among individual journalists who have agendas to push or have teams that they support and write about. But compared to Spain, where, of course, the main newspapers are divided up into Barcelona or Real Madrid supporting newspapers, it's incredibly different. And there's, there's stories that are published in the Spanish media that, that English media would never dream of publishing because it's just so partisan. Yeah, certainly. But to ask you first, we're going to transition now into basically just talking about FC Barcelona. Of course, that's why we're having you on the show on the Barcelona podcast. And it seems like across all publications, whether it was in England or in Spain, and regardless of who they were connected to, the big news of the week in this coming week is about Andres Iniesta. None other than Andres Iniesta helped the team win the Copa del Rey. And I think it's a foregone conclusion. And just for full transparency, when we're recording this, he's not yet officially announced. But again, when you look at the tiers, you look at the Sevilla match, we know that it's a foregone conclusion how this story is going to end. So my question for you then is, what are some of your best memories of Iniesta? And how do you think his legacy, this one's a little more difficult, how do you think his legacy will be different from that of Xavi and Carles Puyol? I can tell you straight off the bat what my worst memory of Andres Iniesta is. As a Chelsea fan, it's 2009 when he scored the Iniesta Um That was very painful. Uh, and it's quite remarkable, actually, that I've, I've come around to, to, to think to like Iniesta a lot, really, as, a, as a someone to deal with and also as someone that you see to play after he did that to my team. But, um, best memories, I mean, I mean, one that comes to mind straight away is the final. That was... I mean, that was one of the best games Iniesta has played in the last few years uh, against Sevilla, just this Saturday. A sensational performance. And, like, from, from the start, you could tell he was completely on it and up for it. 
he was he dominated the game in the opening stages. He was the one that was getting Barca to push Sevilla back and almost pin them back in their area from the start. And then he hit the bar, which is like, I mean, it was deflected, but you think, okay. I mean, Iniesta is a player that occasionally takes a shot and you never really expect him to go in. So you're like, oh, that's actually a decent effort. And then he scored in the second half, of course. And it just felt like the whole final was, was built around Iniesta. I mean, even Messi took a back seat in that final compared to Iniesta. Other memories, I think he was he was very good against Madrid at the Bernabeu in, I think, 2015 when Barcelona won there. Um, and just generally, you just... It's not always the games where he has like a key decisive role that you kind of remember. It's just his, it's just his class and his quality when he's on the ball and the way when he gets the ball. Similar to Messi, actually, but when he gets the ball, people just expect something to happen. And it's just someone... Any, any touch he has to take is worth watching. Well, you kind of, in that answering of that question, you gave away a little bit of your own personal bias with Chelsea. And so that's a perfect transition to the next question that comes not about Chelsea's first team, but... Barcelona, and this is the news of the day, Barcelona have beaten Chelsea 3-1 in the UEFA Youth League. And the last group of champions for Barcelona, at least, which included Sandra Ramirez, Munir Eldadi, and Adama, who now plays for Middlesbrough in the championship, the second division in England. And they never really, any of the three, made their mark on the first team, though Sandro and Munir did have supporting roles back in the 2015 season. But with the hotbed issue right now currently going on of the integration of academy prospects up to Barca B, up to the first team. How do you, and I guess you're both an insider because you're in Barcelona and you're in that scene, but then your heart obviously being, let's say, not exactly with Barcelona. How do you see those players making that transition? And what is it that fundamentally you think, or maybe not fundamentally, needs to change with the way Barcelona are doing things to make sure they get these kids who clearly were a class above the rest of the other U19s to get them to the first team? It's difficult because in Barcelona there, people are kind of spoiled by the generation that came from the East team and just was just so incredible, which Iniesta, of course, was part of. Um, I don't think there's a magic formula. And I think Barcelona, a lot of people say Barcelona have, haven't been treating La Masaya with as much respect as it, sh- as it should be treated with. And that they've been you know, signing a lot of players from outside just to try and keep the team in the, in the division. Um, but so, I mean, sometimes you just think that that generation that made it just had a special talent and there is no just magic formula to, to get these players into the first team. I mean, Munir Al-Hadadi had, had, had a lot of chances and like he's, he's doing alright this season. He's, I think he's got across all competitions 13 goals, which isn't bad for a top flight team. And I mean, if you can churn up players who are of that quality, that's, that's a good going for your youth system. It's just the Barcelona fans have been so spoiled by how good the Iniesta, Puyol, Xavi generation, Messi were. That I mean, maybe no no youth team will ever create that kind of that kind of level of level of player across the board again. In the current team, Abel Ruiz, who scored today, he's looked good. Uh, he's played in the Copa del Rey a bit Barca this season. Um, scored a few goals in that, and he, he actually does look a cut above the other players um, in in Barca B side. Um, when he gets the ball, he looks he looks good, he looks sharp, he looks strong as well, which is important. Another player who played today in that uh, the, the Barca winner in Chelsea was Ricky Puig. Uh, Puig, who's, he looks he's so small. He looks like he's about 15 years old, if that. Um, but he's very, very good on the ball. He reminds me a bit of David Silva in terms of how he how he takes the ball and uses it. Um, perhaps physically, he's he's got to develop a bit more. I mean, we know as Messi is a good example, you don't have to be 
six foot tall to be a good footballer, but he looks so so small that you know maybe he has to develop a bit more physically. And and even then, he may be he may have a great technique, a great skill. But it's also the mentality and the determination of making it that you need to to get to the top. And we even heard news this week about uh, Elenia and about how, again, there's so much different stuff that comes out that you, we know that he's been the talisman of the B team in their attempt at least to try to stay in the second division, which, again, at this point in the relegation zone isn't going so well. But then with all this negativity, there's reports coming out that some of his teammates are a little frustrated at the role that he's played. And when you have a guy like Carlos Alenia, and you can go down through the years now where Xavi Simons is always the name we pop up being the youngest of these next heralded stars, that when you have guys like Alenia who are really pegged as can't-miss guys from uh, the age of the 14, 15, how do you think players like Alenia are supposed to navigate this way that now he's 20 and you expect him to be in the first team, but maybe is the, are these the kind of guys that are going to believe that they're there, or does Barcelona have to make sure that they only have guys like a Sergio Roberto who are willing to be unselfish with their own career and slave away on the bench before they get their spot? I think just because of the demands on Barca's first team, you can see that like from the you know they've won the double practically, they're one point away from winning the league, which would be the double, and yet there's still discussion in Valverde's future. That doesn't leave a lot of room for, for the coach to put a player like Elenia just into into the team. He Elenia himself has I've been a little bit disappointed by him when I've, I've been to a few Barca B games this season, mainly to try and watch Marcus McGuane, who's uh, obviously an English player, and so some of my employees are interested in, in me seeing how he's doing and at some point writing about him. Um, but he hasn't actually featured that much; he's been on the bench a lot, and Elenia has played in most of the games. Um, and he, he's obviously he's got a lot of class and quality. Uh, yeah, and you said you brought up Sergio Roberto, and that's who he kind of reminds me of. Maybe not in style, but in in terms of how Sergio Roberto was was like Elena. He went for years and years and years, and people thought he was going to make it. And then he sort of drifted a bit, and and then people thought, well, maybe he won't make it. And then eventually he did when Luis Enrique turned him into a right back. Um, obviously, that won't happen to Elena. He's not not that sort of player, but. Maybe he has to he has to either leave the club and look for football elsewhere to to, to, to play in the top flight. I think he probably he is good enough to play in La Liga as it as it, as it stands at the moment, just not at Barcelona. Um, or he has to take the gamble like Sergio Roberto did and just sit and wait for his chance. And some, some players some players that would suit them like obviously did with Sergio Roberto, uh, who maybe maybe Sergio Roberto if he'd, if he'd left would never have got the confidence or never have got that sort of momentum up to to become as good as he has done um, or, or not maybe maybe Eleni, if Eleni goes to another club maybe he'll play a whole season and, and go absolutely be absolutely flying and then Barca can maybe bring him back he's got quality it's just completely unknown whether that's going to translate into consistently good performances for a team that is as demanding as Barca it's really interesting your response to that because I think from afar where because you said you've seen Elena play and it's not that you don't have faith in him in the future, but you're much more realistic on where he is in his progression now. And he can't just walk into the Barcelona first team next year and expect to get a great amount of playing time. And, you know, you say that there are some missing years in between there where I think you'd probably agree with this, that Barcelona fans, not that they're spoiled, not that Kool-Aid are spoiled with what they have, but in a sense they are, that they expect that Sergio Busquets, when he started playing for Pep Guardiola, was almost pretty much first team ready and just slotted right in there like a glove. And the way it works in modern football, 
players just can't do that. There's things they have to learn in first-team football before they get through that. So I guess then the follow-up to that question would be, when you have these players that are so highly touted, how do you even as a journalist try to make sure that people who aren't getting to see Elena week in and week out, how do you temper their expectations? So it's a good question, especially as um, increasingly, instead of trying to temper the expectations, what a lot of places want you to do is throw fuel on the expectations and, and get people to, you know, oh, this, you know, this guy is going to be the next Iniesta or the next Xavi or whatever, and get them to click on the article and have a look. Whereas as a journalist, you do want to kind of, you want to write something that you can look back at and think that's the truth, that's genuinely my opinion, and maybe you'll be right, maybe you'll be wrong, but you want to put something out there that, that you believe is true. Um, I think, I think that Alenia, it's understandable that Barcelona are excited about him because he does, he is a skillful player. He does, he is of the sort of similar mould to Xavi and Iniesta in that kind of way. But it's almost because of a, a lack of other sort of really top quality players around them that, that people are so excited about him in particular, which is, I mean, that's the problem for him as well, I think. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense to me. And now I think we'll go from, I really enjoy the things that you had to say about the youth team and, and the academy, and we'll, I guess, finish up talking again about the first team, kind of bringing it full circle, because, again, with the Barcelona podcast, somehow we met 14, 15 minutes of an interview and have yet to talk about Lionel Messi. So the the focus against Sevilla may have been Iniesta's game, and, and yes, Messi did play well, and it seemed like the whole team was clicking in a dominating effort. So how do you think it's now been a few weeks after the, we'll call it the Roma debacle, how do you do you think the views in Spain and, and the the feelings that you're getting around you from just the general populace about just capturing the double. Do you think we're at a point where people are kind of trying to put Roma behind them and are finally happy with winning a, a, a basically at this point still in an unbeaten way in La Liga and then capturing the Copa del Rey? Yeah, I think so. I mean, actually, before the Copa del Rey final, I, I think I wrote an article to Sport saying that even if Barcelona win the Copa, there'll still be a lot of discontent about the round of Roma game maybe it's not until we see what happens in the Champions League final if if, if Real Madrid win the Champions League then, that, then maybe that feeling will still be there there'll be a feeling of a, a disappointment in, in really what is a sensational achievement Barcelona didn't win the league last season they, they've got it back they've got it back off Real Madrid and they've played very well in, like throughout the whole season the double is something that should be celebrated and the way they won against Sevilla I think that was really important if they'd won maybe by one goal in a tight game, I think then we'd still be hearing a lot about Roma. But because of just the emphatic way they won, that it was almost kind of saying, like, this is this is who we are. That Roma game was an aberration, an inexplicable aberration, really. But this is who we are. This is the team we can be. And I think that um, severe performance was probably the best of the season in, in any competition for Barcelona that I can remember anyway. Certainly going forward... Um, they were just sensation, and I think I think people are now content. Maybe that will change if Real Madrid win the win the Champions League because of the, just the, the complex nature of, of that rivalry. But winning the double is is a great achievement, and Valverde has definitely earned another shot next season at, at doing it all over again. Yeah, I have to agree with you about the basically minute to one to minute ninety dominance. And I actually had saved on the way I watch it here, I had saved the Celta de Vigo match where they dominated for the first 20 minutes or so. It was the most dominant 20 minutes I saw, but I think I would agree with you that this was 90 minutes full action for Barcelona, the best that we've seen of them. And speaking of seeing 
work in the future. I guess it's a silly transition, but it was, Rick, a pleasure to have you on the show. And so, of course, the question we ask all our guests at the end is, where can we follow your work moving forward? Uh, uh, on Twitter, um, which is Rick without a C, so R-I-K, Sharma, S-H-A-R-M-A, underscore, because somebody else has already taken Rick Sharma without the underscore. Um, and I normally post work I do on there, I work for Reuters and DPA, which are a couple of news agencies, as well as the Mirror, like you mentioned, and the English version of Diario Sport, and occasionally in the Spanish version, when I write articles in Spanish, which they have to heavily correct, because um, that's difficult to tell. Um, and then just wherever else uh, people want to hire me to write. So maybe during the World Cup, um, I'll be writing for a few different places. We look forward to hearing your work, and of course for our listeners, just check in your show notes where you can see what Rick is working on now and you can follow him along. And again, a pleasure, Rick, for having you on the show. Thanks so much. Well, thank you, Dan. Um, I am hugely excited to be joined by our Peña representatives once again. This is the second edition of the Peña Roundtable here on the Barcelona podcast. And I could not be any more happy to welcome Trishal Varma from Dallas, Joe Dixon from Peña San Francisco and Will Haas from the newly formed Peña Austin. Guys, how are you doing today? Doing very doing well. pretty well. A little I'm tired from celebrating, but good. Right, so <laughs> yeah. how was yesterday? Obviously, yesterday we um, won La Copa. We were incredibly commanding against Sevilla, and I hear that you had a fantastic evening, and that went into the early morning for some of you. So, um, yes, please tell us about your experience. It's all about sharing. I'll go ahead from, from Austin. So. We were brand, brand new. That was our fifth game meeting as a Pena. We had 11 people, which is three times the amount of people we had before. So it was very small, but exciting for us. Um, but yeah, I made some new friends. And uh, I mean, what a game. Incredible to see. It, it looked like the whole game. They were trying to get Iniesta to score, and finally it happened. And uh, so, yeah, we, we had a lot of fun watching that. And then we had a chance to spend time together afterwards visiting um may have had a drink or two and yeah it was it was a very fun day so very happy in in austin today i think uh in dallas too i think our turnout was around 200 people uh, after you know after 100 oh. we stopped counting usually we weren't expecting such a huge crowd usually that's our crowd when we get classicos but over the years, our Clasico has been growing significantly. But um, I think I was, for me, it was wonderful that Iniesta scored. I think that's what I was looking forward to. A good send-off for our captain. But uh, it was a good day. Good weather, too. Yeah, uh, Joe from San Francisco. We had an amazing turnout as well. We had, I would say, close to 100, probably a little bit more. Absolutely fantastic day. The game could not have been any better. It was a little bittersweet seeing us play that well, seeing what resting our players could do. So yeah. that was that was a little bittersweet, but it was absolutely fantastic. Great to see Iniesta get his goal. It was interesting to think that he hasn't made his announcement yet, but you know, you could tell by the players' demeanors, you could tell by just the little things that happened during that game that this was most likely his last cup final with Barcelona. So uh yeah. but the atmosphere was amazing. We had a great time. We all went out afterwards. Could not have been better. It was a great day in San Francisco. It really was. It was a fantastic game of football. And I think that I'm picking up between the words that you just said that you're a little bit, um, how can I put it? Disappointed that rotation didn't happen before the Champions League game because obviously for the Copa final, there was rest, there was rotation. We still didn't lose in La Liga, which is great. But then the players were really rested, came out and had a great, great performance. 
Do you think that because they didn't get rest, that's why we got thrashed by Roma and got knocked out in the Champions League? Yeah, I think um, it didn't really have to do with the resting. I think our lineup, Ernesto Valverde, definitely got his tactics wrong when it came in terms of putting in the substitution when, you know, we are losing 2-0. I think it was time that he put in a player that could possess the ball like Dembele. I thought he, if Dembele running at Roma would have been a different game because Messi and Suarez couldn't do it. And I think Suarez definitely had a very poor game up front. And everyone, everyone had a poor game. But I think in terms of getting that tactic right and maybe putting in the rest, rested players, we would have done, at least be able to be in the final, even if we lose 2-0 or 3-0. Well, here's, here's where I would slightly disagree. I think... The blame falls squarely. This is Joe from the Peña Barcelona San Francisco. Um, I think the, the the blame falls squarely on Ernesto Valverde. I felt yeah, definitely. he has been – I think he's more concerned with having an undefeated Liga than winning the Champions League. Um, there were multiple games in the run-up to this, to the Roma game, the second Roma game, where we should have rested players. Luis Suarez oh, yeah. should not have been starting in certain games. Sergio Roberto, you watched him in the Roma second game. The man had played 90 minutes for each game, basically every game. Nelson Semedo could have been helpful there, but Sergio Roberto was absolutely just tired, just very tired. Um, When we're in a situation where it's halftime, we're losing, Roma's playing better, and we know that they're pressing. The fact that we didn't put on a pacey winger to actually give their defense something to worry about. Roma was pressing with the full team. Not having a pacey winger to stretch the field to make them worry about what's going to happen if that ball gets played over the top. Dembele was the perfect option on the bench. Um, but overall, Ernesto Valverde didn't rest players, didn't give them enough time to recover. And we were having a poor run of form since the international break. And he didn't notice that and adjust accordingly. So, yeah, squarely on Valverde. I definitely agree with both of you all. The, the, you know, I feel like... This is Will from Austin, sorry. Uh, I feel like Valverde was kind of handed, not handed, but, you know, the, the squad that we had to start. The I mean, this was one of our worst summers for signings ever. And, um, you know, players like Denny Suarez haven't had enough time. And so, the, you know, to do rotations and to have players fresh, we, we kind of, I kind of feel like we don't have it right now. You know, you look at what Madrid has done and, you know, they've really built up that midfield to where, I mean, the results haven't happened in La Liga, but you know, Champions League, they're they're there and we're not. And you know, they they can they have the ability to rest players. And and while the undefeated Liga would be an incredible thing to do, and and still is an incredible, we should feel so excited and happy and hopeful that that can happen. I would rather take a couple losses in the Liga and still be in Champions League right now because of rotations. So I agree, Valverde got the. Got the lineup wrong that day, but um, but he overall, I feel like, has done remarkably well with the kind of limited squad he's had to work with. I think he did, but I also want to say, I think there has been this narrative that we don't have the the enough players on the bench to properly fill the squad. And I think there's a, I think that's we're a little wrong there in that yes, in the part first part of the season without Dembele, what Valverde did was amazing. He had to play more defensive. He didn't have that pacey winger. He didn't have those tools. You get Coutinho, and now, and then Dembele comes back, and now you have these tools. Dennis Suarez, first of all, Gomes, the dependence that we've put on him to the detriment of playing Dembele, playing Dennis, 
this is why when you come toward the end of the season, we don't have players that we trust in because Valverde never played those players. Dennis, given the time that Gomes is, has shown over the previous periods that he could produce. He's produced more than Gomes has with half the minutes. So we come to this point of the season and we don't know if Dennis is as great as he could be because he hasn't given the time. Well, definitely Dennis is going to stay. What the fault in that case, I think not a lot of people know is in Dennis's Suarez contract, he has a contract where it says every 10 games yep. he plays, 800,000 goes to Man City. Same thing for Nelson Semedo. Every 50 official games he plays, 5 million goes to Benfica up to the first time he renews. So there's a lot of things that Valverde is limited by. And I think that was one of the reasons why Enrique and coaches like Pep Guardiola, they didn't want to be dictated because they needed the freedom to be able to use the players they wanted to use. Where Valverde, I think, is a little bit on the quieter side and he listens to the board and kind of has to work with what he has. Because, um, of course, it costs us every 10 games that Dennis plays or every 50 games that Nelson plays. Right, loads of thoughts in there. Um, you pretty much answered the vast majority of the questions we had ready. Um, you haven't answered this one, though. Charlie Barça says, obviously, there was Mundo Deportivo reports on the day of the final, Copa del Rey final, this is, that um, Valverde's job was at risk. Obviously, that was not the best way to prepare the final, and it is quite oh, yeah. suspicious how the Catalan media can report on something that important when actually it could have made the squad far less stable in terms of focus that day. Um, do you think that winning the Copa final has actually saved his job? Or do you think he wasn't dependent on that and it was just the Catalan media trying to play mind games? Yeah, I mean, I'll step in, um, Joe, here again. I think his job was safe before that. I think as much as I am very disappointed in how he did the Champions League and I have a lot of issues with how he's played the team, rotation, everything... I think we have to all step back as Barca fans and say, yes, we are still undefeated in the league. We're going to win the double. The problem with the Copa del Rey final was we saw that this team could have won a Champions League final and and all of that. So it's disappointing. But realistically, do you want to even deal with going through another coach search, finding a person, going through without really, without really seeing if... Ernesto Valverde could, I mean, bottom line of what I'm saying is I think the board is smart enough to be aware that regardless of his shortcomings, he has done very well this season and you would at least give him another season instead of trying to find a new coach. It just, it would be too much. The coaching market right now is so absurd. It'd be hard to find another person. Okay. I think, we, I think we mostly I... agree with that. So let's move on to the next question then. We've got a question from Athar about saying Iniesta cannot be replaced but we do need someone to fill in his role. So who would you pick and why? Then I've got a question by Tom that says, if the club decides to sign a top midfielder to make up for the loss of Iniesta, who do you think it should be? So what do you guys think? This is from Dallas. Um, I think in terms of signing, I know I've heard from many places that Arthur is going to be coming in early in summer. And um, instead of having him come 2019 in January. So I think in terms of signing a top midfielder, I don't think we will sign one. I think the bigger option for me in terms of changing the squad would be to get another striker into the team. Someone, you know, like Paco does what he can, but there's no one really like Suarez. Suarez pretty much plays every single game. And we need a player that can replace him. Um, 
instead of the midfield. I know a lot of people are going to be leaving the team from what I've heard, but um, I don't think we need to get a top, top midfielder in the team yet. Yeah, I, this is Will from Austin. I totally agree with that. Um, you know, again, you, and you made a great point about Dennis Suarez's contract and the payments to City, but, you know, at some point you have to view him as a signing and maybe those payments instead of, you know, signing someone for a huge fee are effectively your signing. I, I feel like he would be a good replacement. I feel like we already have a great re- potential replacement in Coutinho too. So maybe, maybe a signing to replace Iniesta isn't necessary, but more, as you mentioned, you know, somebody up front that can fill some of the, yeah. some of the games that, that Louis can, he can't play all these games. You're right. And, you know, there's been lots of talk about Antoine Griezmann and everything, which I think, I think he would be great. I mean, if, if we had to sign a top midfielder, I would love Christian Eriksen. But I, I agree. I don't know that that's necessary. Arthur's a it sounds like going to be a really solid signing, and you know maybe finding a way to to integrate Alenia to get him some more minutes. You know, not yeah. he's not going to play in Clasicos or Champions League, but you know against uh, you know Leganes or Levante or well. I guess not Malaga now. Sorry, guys. No, no, uh, but... definitely not. And we're not very sad about that one either, are we? No, uh, no, yeah. we are not. Not at all. Not yeah. at all. For me, Joe, San Francisco, I think when it comes to signings next year, my biggest concern is we re-sign MTT. I think that's what you need to do first and yes. foremost. Um, that's going to be the signing that cements Barcelona for the next couple of years. That's a future signing. That's what we need to take care of. In regards to midfields, I have been a strong supporter of Dennis Suarez. You see how he plays. You see his touch. You see his potential. I mean, there was a goal that he and Sergio Roberto connected for um, back in the season. It was a Copa del Rey game. Can't remember the exact game, but he passes the ball to Roberto. Roberto puts it over the top. He brings it down with the left, finishes it with the right. I mean, his finishing, his vision, his ability to run at players, I think you give that kid more time and he could be the next Iniesta in the long in in, in the long term. Um, I agree. You, you supple- totally. Agree. Yeah, you have Arthur coming in. That's going to supplement. But we have right. Link into what you're saying and make a really good point in there. We got a question from Terry, and Terry asks, "Can the ball be trusted to recruit sensibly and give Valverde what he needs?" My, this is Trishaw from Dallas again. I I do not like this board. And that's, I think, maybe personal, but when Sandro became president and then his vice president became president of Bartomeu, I didn't like the way, like we all agreed, the way they go about managing players and managing team. I think they're very drawn to having the commercial aspect secured for Barcelona compared to having the footballing aspect, where I felt when we had uh, Laporta, we had... Uh, we, you know, we had a nonprofit company in the front of our jersey. We didn't care about money. We valued our players. You know, that was the the years that we won so much leading into because he created the team. You have to look at it in terms of three years ago before a new president came in because he built that team leading into our trouble and things like that. So I, I, I don't think I can trust this board, but it's what we have to deal with. Yeah, we I, this is Will from Austin. Uh, definitely kind of feels like we've, you know, even just look at the the B team, they're just buying players. And I think it's important that the B team stays in the second division for competition purposes. But, you know, 
the whole purpose of the B team or La Masia is not necessarily for results. It's for development. And yeah. again, I think yeah. development will happen the best in, you know, in a stronger league, obviously, but yeah, you know, they're buying players for that. We're just buying players for the first team. And, and I read something uh, like a year ago or something like that, that, you know, Barca should really aim to buy a truly uh, difference making player like one or two a year and the rest of the players the the second string players should all come from the masia like that's where they should come from and i, I thought that was it it was a really basic thing to say but it, i well, yeah i wish we would go back to that so well do you know that we purchased 11 different players for our 11 new players to the b team yep, yeah yeah we purchased a lot for the b team yeah. We're losing our identity as as a club coming from the foundation of the club, which is La Masia. I mean, the cool thing is when you look at when you if you follow La Masia on Instagram and everything, you see some of the young young players like Xavi Simmons and and all these other kids, and you're like, wow, Barca has this crazy future ahead. But the problem comes down to if our board slash our coaches aren't willing to integrate those players in. I mean, I could tell you so many names of players that I used to love. I mean, I'll I'll tell you straight up. When when I found out we bought Neymar, I was upset because I loved Christian Theo. And I thought mm-hmm. having him coming through with that Barca DNA, I thought Neymar was too flashy. I thought it was going to be a problem. But we're really getting to this point. And that's one of the reasons why I don't want to buy Griezmann. Okay, plenty of uh, very opinionated opinions, which is what the podcast is about. So thank you very much, everyone. Uh, I've got the last question, which probably is the most important, is which Peña are you from? How can we find you and how can we join you? So let's start with Will. All right, so this is Will Haas from Austin. Uh, I was actually on the board of the New York Peña the last uh, four years, but just moved back to Austin in November, and we are five games into starting our Pena here. Um, we are meeting at the Tavern, which is at 12th and Lamar. Um, you know, we're we're growing Pena, so we're we're kind of small right now. But uh, you know, it's been a good group, and uh, yeah, we'd we'd love to have anyone that's in the area, or if you're visiting, especially you guys in Dallas, come on down, enjoy a weekend in Austin, and uh, we'll catch a game together. Sounds amazing, Joe. Yes. Um, so we are the San Francisco Pena. You can find us on. We're really, it's great because we have great SEO. We show up the first thing you type up when you type in San Francisco Pena. But we are Pena, the Barcelonista de San Francisco on Facebook. We're on Meetup. We meet at, for smaller games, we meet at South Beach Cafe on the Embarcadero in San Francisco. Beautiful place, 800 Embarcadero, San Francisco. Um we're going to be at the Thirsty Bear for the Clasico, our biggest venue. Um, Peña, Barcelonista, San Francisco on Facebook. Join the group. It's very active. We have very lively discussions. I've actually been told to tone it down a bit because I get a little opinionated, but we have a great group of people. Um, we're on Meetup, same thing. We have a website where I do game recaps. But yeah, join us on the Facebook. You'll get all the information you need from there. The opinion lady sounds great. Um, I would never tell you to tone it down, just just for the record. <laughs> Trishal. Hey guys, uh, this is Trishal from Barca Dallas. We're located in Dallas Aqua Force. Um, we meet all the big games and all our home games, away games. They're all at the Rugby House in Plano. 
Um, it's 8604 Preston Road, number 100. So if you guys are ever, you know, the Austin guys or San Fran, if you want to come down to Dallas anytime, if you want to catch the Roma game here, let me know. I'll set everything up for you guys. And we have our website, PeñaBarsaDallas.com, where you can check out our members, our board members. You can become members, buy T-shirts. And our Facebook page is Barca Dallas. So if you search for Barca Dallas on Google, you'll get to our website. Or even on uh, Facebook, you'll just show up at our Facebook page. You know, join us. We're very opinionated as well. Um, and you'll get all the good news there. Well, sounds great. Um, again, this is the end of the second Peña Roundtable here on the Barca podcast, the Barcelona podcast. And again, it's just been fantastic. You obviously love the club. You've been following for many years. And it still amazes me how people around the world can be so passionate about something happening so many kilometers and miles away from them. Um, thank you for all you do. You're clearly spreading the Barca word around the world. And it's been a pleasure to have you here. So there you have it. Plenty of thanks to both Rick and the Peñas in our Peña Roundtable as we wrap up another show, another edition of the Barcelona Podcast. Until next time, we'll talk to you soon. Forza Barca. Forza. Forza.